This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, I'm Laura Suter and you're listening to the AJ Bell Money and Markets podcast. This week, we're going to be discussing all the changes that October is bringing as the government winds up much of its financial support for the pandemic. And we're also going to be chatting to the head of a London property empire about emerging from lockdown and the impact it's had. Joining me today is Danny Houston, who's going to be running through all of the supply chain issues that we've been having this week. Yes, Laura, that's right, as well as sky-high gas prices, which are really unsettling markets. I'll also be looking at the impact that Facebook's outage had. And this week, we're also going to be taking a look at why you need to raid your piggy banks for old notes and an intriguing offer of free food and money for students. So first up, we've all been aware of the price of energy bills going up and are probably feeling it in our pockets. And we've talked about that last week. But as we chat on Wednesday lunchtime, it's still the price of gas that's the big topic among businesses as well. Yeah, it's really causing big concern about rising inflation and it's triggered a sell-off. We're talking uh, Wednesday lunchtime. We've seen a huge sell-off of European stocks and bonds this morning. Um, Gas prices, you know, they are reaching record highs. Just today, it rose above £3 for therm for the first time. Now, it's an even higher spike than we saw back in February 2018. Do you remember the beast from the East, Laura? Yeah, I remember it well. Yes, freezing temperatures. It it caused us right across Europe to flick on those switches and, and really consume gas and push the prices up. But These higher gas prices have prompted warnings that some British businesses that rely heavily on energy consumption won't be able to operate as normal over winter unless there's some kind of emergency government intervention. Now, consumers, of course, keep prices kept fairly manageable by the price cap, but we've already spoken about the fact that it's having a knock-on to some small suppliers. Um, We've seen ninefold since September. And I saw that uh, Deutsche Bank's global head of FX research had put things really neatly in contact, saying that the natural gas price rise seen this year is the equivalent to oil trading at $200 a barrel now. Now, in terms of oil, that is also rising. You know, we've seen it reach $83 a barrel. And a lot of that is down to the fact that OPEC has said on Monday that it would stick to its existing pact for a gradual increase in oil supply. You know, there are a lot of people that still maybe think that COVID hasn't caused its last big issue and that as winter takes hold, supply and demand, well, it might switch round again. But while we've got those rising oil prices, we're also seeing the amount that we pay at the pumps go up, not just because of the supply chain issues that we've seen over the last week or so, but just because that oil is getting more expensive. And the RAC have just warned that we could see record highs by Christmas. Now, the average price of a litre of both petrol and diesel rose in September to make a full tank around £12 more expensive than it was a year ago. And we're even closer to record highs that we last saw in 2012. And as I say, the RAC thinks that we might we might just see that high beaten come to Christmas, just as people want to try and start getting in the cars and going to see their families. So it's all feeling a little bit bleak and 
also, I feel like we could make a regular feature called Who's Having Supply Chain Issues This Week, as so many companies are having problems at the moment. And this week, the, the big award goes to Greg's, doesn't it, Danny? It does, but don't worry, because Greg's have said, fear not, supplies of our famous sausage rolls will be maintained. That is despite the crisis facing the pork industry. Um, they haven't been immune, though. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, the boss, Chief Executive Roger Whiteside, said, we've seen some disruption to the availability of labour and supply of ingredients. But they said that it still wouldn't stop them from accelerating plans to open new bakeries across the UK. And they had some pretty decent results out earlier this week, like for like sales up by 3.5% in the third quarter of this year compared to pre-pandemic levels. But yeah, as you say, Tesco have said, don't worry, Christmas is all fine. Um, They are huge. I think that is one of the big things. You've got to think about their supply chain and When you are a supplier and you are making a decision about who to send goods to, where to send your lorries, you're probably going to put Tesco fairly near the top of the pile. And that is one of the reasons that the chief exec there has said that they expect things will be pretty okay around Christmas. Now, earlier we had a warning from Tesco chairman that prices might rise. Well, today the chief exec has said, we hope that we're going to be able to absorb a lot of the inflationary pressures in the near term. And they had some, what I can only be described as stellar results out today. Revenues jumped by 5.9% to 30.4 billion the first six months compared to the same period last year. Operating profits up by 28% to 1.3 billion. And they are very much factoring in all of the issues and saying that they are able to work with them. And and Morrison's has also said that it's looking to recruit 3,000 staff for Christmas. So really, everyone is just trying to make sure they've got everything lined up for that really crucial period, because this Christmas really matters to a lot of retailers. And so while we're talking about supermarkets, I know we've seen an end to the Morrison saga, but is it the end of this edition of Supermarket Sweep? Ah, that is the big question. There is so much speculation that this might not be the end. As you say, the battle for Morrison's, well, it kind of whimpered to a close over the weekend. Um, Many investors have thought there might be a really big fight between the two private equity firms trying to grab hold of this. But in the end, it didn't materialise. In fact, the rival bid of Fortress only offered a penny above the 285 pence a share bid that uh, CDR had made pre-auction. So Clayton Dubillier and Rice have now won that subject to um, shareholder approval. But uh, we do know that um, the uh, main shareholder has already said that they're pretty um, clear that they are going to accept this. So um, that finally went at 287 pence a share. Now, that was a little bit below where they closed on Friday, but get this, 61% above where the price had been mid-June before talk of a takeover began. Now, a lot of people have said that maybe, you know, there could be some more interest in some of the other supermarkets. Um, just in terms of the Morrison's deal, 
Um, there is one thorn in the rose garden. Now, CDNR have over 900 petrol stations, Morrison's 339. So you can guarantee the regulator is going to have something to say and potentially ask for some of those petrol stations to be sold. That's certainly what happened when we saw Asda bought by the Issa brothers. Now, Fortress, the rival bid, you know, this whole thing has cost them £263.5 million in advisory fees and expenses. That's from documents that were published in July. And they have said, you know, the UK remains very attractive, will continue to explore opportunities. And that is why that we have seen the likes of Sainsbury's, the share price on Monday, topped the FTSE 100 gainers. And there is speculation, maybe, maybe Tesco might also be attractive. And as part of its results, it announced a £500 million share buyback scheme, which will benefit shareholders, of course. There were a few questions about whether it was a defensive mood to guard against prospective takeover interest. But that is something that the CEO denied. And I'm sure everyone felt the effect of the social media outage this week. So, Danny, how did you spend your enforced downtime when Instagram, Facebook and WhatsApp all went down? Well, I confess, I I didn't realise. I was on a train heading back from London and I had so much work to do. I was just um, rattling through my emails and it wasn't until I walked into the house that my 13-year-old said, Mum, what am I going to do? I can't get on to talk to my friends. Instagram, it's huge for her. Um, So I I didn't really notice. How about yourself? I finally finished reading my book, which I think shows probably how much time I waste on social media and how many more books I could read in a year if I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think a lot of people are now taking a long, hard look at their social media use. But the one thing that this outage did do is it it really knocked investors. We saw $50 billion wiped off the value of the business at one point. Mark Zuckerberg himself, who has a 14% stake, lost over 6 billion dollars. It was down for six hours, which is a lifetime, particularly if you're a small business and you use the social media sites to run your businesses. It was all down to um, an issue with a faulty configuration change. That is the technical term for it. I don't quite know exactly what that means. But Facebook have said that no user data has been compromised. Um, In terms of the share price now, it's recovered somewhat. But I think a lot of investors uh, have taken a look at what happened the other day and also about some testimony which was given by a whistleblower. A whistleblower said that they felt that Facebook put profit above people, something Mark Zuckerberg absolutely denied. But I think investors are now thinking regulation probably around the corner. Laura, you know, we were talking about higher prices and this week and last week seen the government winding up a lot of its support that was announced in the pandemic. This is going to have a massive impact on people's pockets, particularly, as I say, with all that inflationary pressure. What are the big changes? Yeah, so obviously the government introduced a whole swathe of measures to help support people's personal finances as well as businesses um, and certain industries through the pandemic. And it's now reached a point where it feels the economy is in a place where we can unwind those. And the end of September, start of October was the real crunch point for a lot of things. So furlough ended at the end of September and that scheme um 
finished and the latest figures, which were a little bit out of date, um, showed that 1.6 million people were still on furlough. Now, it's likely to be slightly less than that when the scheme actually came to close at the end of September. But there is a big question mark over how many companies will be able to afford to take those people on back on their full wages and how many um, might be laying people off. Um, Another big thing that lots of families are feeling this week is the end to the universal credit uplift. So this was a £20 a week top up that was added to universal credit as as a temporary measure to help families get through the financial tight spot of the pandemic. Um, The government insists that it was always intended to be a temporary measure, um, and that's being withdrawn this week. That represents more than £1,000 in income a year for those families, um, which is a massive amount when you think of low-income families um, who are more likely to have had their income affected, um, more likely to have been furloughed during the pandemic, more likely to have used their savings to help um, make ends meet, and are being faced with this barrage of price rises, whether that's energy prices or um, food prices as we go into winter. Um, so that's a real one that people are going to feel the pinch on. There were a few others, um, the VAT reduction that was announced for hospitality industries. Um, that's being tapered out. So uh, that um, was cut from 20% to 5%. It'll go up a little bit now um, before going back to 20% next year. Um, and the stamp duty holiday, which we've talked about loads on the podcast before, That came to an end at the end of September, and it's likely that when we get the figures out on that, we'll see a big flurry of transactions um, on that final day and in September as people rush to get through. It had already been tapered down from the biggest saving that you could make, but there was still £2,500 that people could save by slipping their transaction through before that deadline. Um, And so it'll be interesting. All eyes are on the housing market now to see how it reacts to that tax break being taken away. So many people are going to have less to spend over the next few months. It's going to be incredibly difficult, but people are going to have to take a long, hard look at their budgets. And of course, that's not what retailers and hospitality venues are going to be wanting to hear. Over the last 18 months, they've had to deal with closures, restrictions, and now staff shortages, and as I say, potentially less consumer spend. Now, one of the places that really struggled with footfall, even after so-called Freedom Day, was London, because so many office workers simply weren't returning. But that is definitely beginning to shift. Yeah, and so you spent the afternoon having a nice jaunt around the West End on Monday, (laughs) didn't you? Finding out how one big property company has been coping with this issue of businesses being shut down, um, kind of rent compression, uh, less competition for retail space, because it does seem like when you walk around a lot of high streets now, there's a lot of empty spaces out there. Yes, huge competition now to try and attract businesses in to fill those empty spaces. Because, of course, if you've got an empty hole, then footfall is suppressed. And I I did have a nice time, but it it absolutely threw it down. Um, I got a chance to (laughs) chat to Brian Bickle, who is at the helm of Shaftesbury. It owns around 600 properties in central London, the West End, Chinatown. Uh, And as you say, they did take a huge hit during the pandemic, primarily because they decided to look after their tenants, help them through a really difficult time. Now, that's a decision Brian told me is now paying dividends. It's four o'clock on a Monday afternoon. And 
it's not heaving, but it is bustling. And I imagine that it's been quite a while since a Monday afternoon was bustling like this. Well, it's getting better and better every week, I suppose. And uh, London's always attracted a lot of domestic visitors. And during the summer, we've seen it busy every day of the week. It's a little bit quieter now. We're not seeing so many domestic tourists around. But making up for that, we're seeing more people back in the offices now. Offices are a really big part of the economy here. The borough of Westminster has got a working population of 750,000 people. So, you know, one of the reasons you like working in the West End is because there is the buzz about it. There are things to do at London time or things are doing the evening and that's what people are rediscovering now so yes life is coming back I used to come into the office during lockdown uh, maybe the CEO but my main job because I live quite close by was to do the post and water the plants and I used to come here and literally in the middle of the day there wasn't another soul around it was truly depressing so it is great to see life coming back here it really is and you have managed to look after most of your tenants, how many would you say as a percentage have you lost because of COVID? How many have not returned? Of our shops and restaurants, we've got, uh, well, some three, 630 restaurants, shops, cafes, bars and clubs. Uh, we've lost probably less than 10% of them, I would say, and they would be a lot of the smaller ones. Um, but of our total vacancy, which ran to Went, got up to about 12% of our rent roll, only a third of that related to the shops and restaurants. So it's two thirds of our income, but only a third of the vacancy. And that's because we went out of our way to make sure these businesses, and they're generally smaller independent businesses. We don't have the chain shops or restaurants here. They're personally owned businesses. We've chosen people here very carefully to be tenants in the area. So it's actually all about keeping them going through a very difficult 18 months. So that actually when the West End did reopen, we could open up straight away with no problem with vacancy at all. And that's been the focus. And it's we've really achieved what, what we set out to do. And for shareholders, it's preserved the value in the portfolio. We, even though demand is for space is very good now, certainly for us, if the portfolio was half empty, it would be much more difficult to let shops and restaurants. People would be looking for somewhere that was busy straight away and maybe busy in the future. So this was a long-term view that you took, that look after the people that kit out these little boxes, the ones that bring the footfall in, because if you lose them, particularly off the back of what we've seen, it was going to be a fight to bring people back in. Absolutely. I mean, we were conscious that the West End has, for probably the first time in its history, more a vacancy challenge, and we didn't want to be part of that. So actually, you know, at the end of the day, rents are set by supply and demand. We wanted people to really be coming back to our locations because they know they're going to be busy and buzzing. You've got a very supportive landlord. Uh, but it was all about keeping that buzz going from day one. And that's what we've set out to do. So we've just walked into what is a courtyard. Whereabouts are we? Uh, we're in Kingley Court between Kingley Street, or Kingley Street and Regent Street to the uh, west and Carnaby Street to the east. And this is exactly what many people have been talking about when they're talking about a retail experience because you've got tables in the middle from all the different bars and restaurants around the outside but nestled between them you've got retail and I would imagine that means that the footfall is boosted because of that mix is that what you set out to do or is it just a happy coincidence 
Well, we do find things work really well if they're clustered. So uh, this Piggly Court is quite a destination, a restaurant destination for a big chunk of the West End. If you go across Regent Street into Mayfair, there's little, very few eateries there, very few bars. The buzz is all of here, is here. And because young people know about these things now through social media, they want to come and try these fascinating brands and be where, somewhere where it's really buzzy. So that's always been our philosophy, is to cluster things. Um, and it does support the retail as well. We always say that is way to, one of the routes to success in retail, is to have a good F&B offer around it. That's how you get people out and then you know, people eat, they th think about shopping and vice versa. So it's got to be, a, but it's got to be consistent in its mix and quality, I would say. And an interesting byproduct of the fact that you haven't pulled everything down and turned it into boxes is that you've got some really quirky, interesting, Instagrammable buildings here. And I would imagine you get a lot of young people taking photos of themselves, eating, shopping, enjoying. Well, it is a different experience, really. I mean, there's, you know, a shopping centre, particularly the modern ones, are very predictable. You know, they look at great spaces, but are they so interesting, really? This is quirky and different. You could say we play to our strength, the strength of these older, quirky, characterful buildings, by the tenants we choose. So they, they match each other, really. But it's the whole experience. You feel, you, you know, we're standing now in what was a Victorian stables block that's been lots of things in its lifetime. This was an office courtyard 25 years ago when we bought it. We turned it, first of all, into shopping. Now it's food and beverage. Who knows what it'll be in 10 years' time, but that's, that's the great thing about these old buildings. They adapt. That's why they've been here for hundreds of years. And Shaftesbury as a business adapts as well because a lot of these retailers, a lot of these um, hospitality businesses have... They've not taken any money for 18 months in some cases. To start back up, have you had to bring rents down? Uh, rents across the West End have reset generally. There's, there has been a vacancy that we've never, levels of vacancy were unheard of in, in the West End. So it is all about supply and demand. So rents have come down. Restaurant rents, I would say around 10%, no more than that. Uh, the bigger challenge has been in uh, big box retail where rents are down probably 30%. And part of the challenge there is to repurpose some of that space because retailers are not looking for big shops anymore. So we've got to find out those who have big shops and of ours are that big. Uh, I've got to find different uses for the space but these quirky old buildings we made our shops bigger by because we used to feel on the back foot we thought our shops are not big enough so we added first floors to the shops which would have been offices we took out basements and added them to the offices well as far as we're concerned now those walls are going back in the floors are going back in but we'll find alternative uses for the space as well so um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's all bad news for the landlord with these flexible buildings you know the reality is it's much harder in a purpose-built shopping centre. If you can't make the shops smaller, you just generally end up with more shops. So we've spoken a lot about the issues that you've had to deal with, but uh, what's the name of the street that we're on now? Uh, we're on Berwick Street. And this is an example of an opportunity that you've been thinking about long-term. How far away from the new crossrail tunnel opening are we? 
Uh, well, we're just uh, probably two minutes walk from the Dean Street exit to Tottenham Court Road Station, new Crossrail Station, which well, the estimates are that will handle 35 million passengers a year from that one station exit. It's quite staggering, really. So Soho is already very busy. It's almost going to be too busy now. But that's that's not a bad problem to have, I guess. And this is an example of where you really are thinking long term because it does look a little run down, this street. There are some really nice, quirky, interesting restaurants and shops here. But like so many high streets, on this street you can't do what you want to do right now because you've got to buy up as and when these things become available. And because of Covid, maybe they are. Well, we are seeing that, but you're absolutely right. The whole principle of Shaftesbury is to create these clusters of ownership. And for the 16 acres we own now, well, that's taken us 35 years. So with a few lucky breaks along the way, this has been quite a challenge street because there is no dominant owner where you can pick up six buildings in one go or anything like that. Uh, but we are determined. We always get what we want at the end of the day. And now COVID has you know, changed some people's own ownership perceptions. But a lot of these smaller buildings are owned by long-term families who probably own buildings here for generations but maybe not have invested very much in their buildings some of them are not in the best possible condition so they're being faced now with a possible vacancy in their properties uh, some quite big bills if they want to refurbish uh, further down the road we've got more challenging energy performance standards to meet so some of those owners are now thinking well maybe the market's quite a good time to uh, possibly sell up so there are some buying options opportunities emerging from Shaftesbury. Of course, you know, things can change quite quickly. The West End is getting back on its feet quite quickly. So that might just give some of these owners the, the courage to see it through and actually reinvest in their buildings. But I think on balance, the likelihood is that we'll find more to buy. Things can change quite quickly. And the one thing that has changed incredibly quickly is the weather. I mean, this this is rain of biblical proportions, really. Yes, and it wasn't on my weather app today. It just goes to show, chance we may own these areas, but we don't control the weather. <laughs> what really interests me is the fact that by buying up an entire area, it gives you control because without that, you can't get the right mix. You can't get the right look. And this is a challenge for high streets and maybe one where they can take a look at what you're doing and think that could work. Well, the challenge is to put the ownership together. And, um, you know, we've chosen an area we know particularly well. We have experience, say, over the last 35 years. We are the experts in these areas. But the interesting thing about the buildings that we buy is the value is all on the lower floors. The shops and restaurants give them their value. The offices and residential upstairs are probably an, always ancillary in value. So we always say the split is roughly two thirds of value downstairs, one third upstairs. You look at a lot of buildings on high streets and it's the other way around. So a lot of those buildings will be office dominated if they're not department stores. So the owner of those buildings think I do, my priority is the offices upstairs, not what goes on at street level and uh, there's no um, contiguous ownership there of buildings either. So it's, the fragmented ownership means that it's unlikely to be a direction that all the owners can sign up to. You know, quite frankly, we take a view of the whole area. 
you know, we, we don't necessarily choose a tenant on the basis that they'll pay us the highest rent. We're interested in the restaurant or the shop that is the most interesting that will drive footfall because that's going to benefit all the things we own in the area. That's a big difference really. That's taking an estate view rather than a, uh, a single building owner view or a, a developer view where you just build it, let it and move on. You don't even stick around to see what's happened to the building in five, ten years time. So within 30, the last 35 years we have created an estate. What we've just walked past was very interesting because well, we've spoken a lot about the fact that retail has gone online but hybrid retail which is what we're hearing so much about now is where those online retailers use a shop in the ideal location to act as a shop window and you've got a couple of those that are going very well. Uh, we have um, a couple of retailers that actually like the brand Carnaby or the brand Soho to reinforce their brand. So uh, well, we've had examples of those retailers who we thought perhaps would just use them as showrooms, but actually they've done some very good business out of them, extremely good turnover from the shop, but it's also impacted their sales, online sales in London and the South East. So they become real destinations and we think that's the future really. When you're buying something bespoke, something that's not homogenised, then you actually do want to see it and feel it. It's never the same experience buying it online you're not quite sure what you're going to get and of course once you get into the shop you might just see something else that's uh, that always happens and then you might just want to go for a bite to eat or something afterwards a bottle of wine to go you know so that's where the whole mix of the, this every aspect of a leisure experience coming to the west end is is what we try and provide and of course beyond us the theatres and the cinemas the museums around us are good reasons to come into the west end on their own it's all it's part of that mix of doing something different um, that's so interesting. And it feels like there's a lot of change going on in retail at the moment. So one thing I spotted this week is that Amazon is now opening its first non-food bricks and mortar store in the UK, which feels quite strange that such an a, online giant is now getting into bricks and mortar retail. Um, and remember, you can email into podcast at ajbell.co.uk if you have any feedback or if you wanted to suggest any guests for future episodes. Laura, you have a warning that parents should be raiding their kids' piggy banks or searching down the back of the sofa this week, haven't you? Yeah, I'm not necessarily advocating stealing from your children, but... <laughs> I don't know. Very... <laughs> I do it quite often, actually, when I suddenly think, oh, I fancy fish and chips and my local chippy only takes um, uh, cash. And quite often we'll sort of go and raid the kids' pots just so that we can, yeah, have some lunch. <laughs> They've got to pay their own way soon. <laughs> but yeah, this is an early warning that there's only a year left to spend your 20 and 50 pound notes. Um, so the new style notes were brought out with um, JMW Turner and Alan Turing on them. Um, and this means that the old ones are going to be phased out. So you need to have a dig around in your piggy bank um, and you can take any of the old style notes, either spend them, obviously, or you can put them in your bank account or take them to the post office. And the Bank of England estimates that there's still £24 billion worth of these older notes in circulation, which is quite a lot for the nation to find in the next year. That is a huge amount of notes. I would love I to find a few of those. <laughs> I'm hoping at least 10% of that is down the back of my sofa. Yeah, I'll take 5%. That will, that will be fine. <laughs> um, and finally, um, for this episode, Laura, one restaurant's come up with a random stunt for students, but, and I think this is genius, it involves free food. 
and you can always rely on me to find the stories about free food. <laughs> um, so yeah, this caught my eye this week. So the restaurant chain Frankie and Benny's, which I mean, this isn't a great advocate for them, but I didn't realize they were still going. Um, but anyway, it's launched a scheme where it will pay for three students tuition fees in full for their university. It will also give them a job at the end of their degree. But the best bit, it will give them free food for a year at the restaurant too. Think how popular you'd be at university if you had free food. Would you be able to share it with your fellow students, though? I don't know. I did look in the T's and C's and I couldn't find that. But (laughs) the competition is open at the moment. It runs until the 24th of October. And all you have to do to enter is to upload a picture of you at the restaurant or getting takeaway from there and share it on Instagram with the hashtag students win with Frankies. And you also need to include a reason of why you should win. But it seems quite easy. That's really smart because I know uh, I've spoken to a lot of hospitality businesses uh, and many of them say that for students, the hospitality sector is just a stopgap. It's something they do when they're a student, but they wouldn't think of it as a career. And the hospitality sector, of course, really struggling for labour at the moment. Yeah, it's pretty smart. That is all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please do rate and review us wherever you listen to the podcast. Next week, uh, we'll be back with our very own Tom Selby in Pensions Corner and another great fund manager interview. Thanks for listening. Thanks a lot. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.